Welcome to Mountain Grace, the weekly sermon from me, John White, priest at St. Luke's Episcopal Church in Camillus, New York. Today we are celebrating the Feast of All Saints. It's All Saints Sunday. This is the Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to St. Luke. Jesus looked up at his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you will be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you, revile you, and defame you on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for surely your reward is great in heaven, for that is what their ancestors did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you will be hungry. Woe to you who are laughing now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when all speak well of you, for that is what their ancestors did to the false prophets. But I say to you that listen and love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. If anyone strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from anyone who takes away your coat, do not withhold even your shirt. Give to everyone who begs from you. And if anyone takes away your goods, do not ask for them again. Do to others as you would have them do to you. The Gospel of the Lord. Please be seated. Today is All Saints. Actually, today's not actually All Saints. All Saints is the first, but today is All Saints Sunday. It's the day that we, we remember and mark All Saints usually. And of course, you know, there are sort of two kinds of saints. We're all saints, right? Because saints just means the sanctified ones. And as, as baptized followers of Jesus, we are the saints, the sanctified ones. At our baptism, we are marked with chrism, the oil of blessing, and marked as one of Christ's own forever. It is an indelible mark that cannot be taken away, just like God's love cannot be taken away from us. So in that sense, we are all saints, the sanctified people of God. But of course, there are also like the capital S saints, right? The ones who get like schools and churches and named after them and who have their own feast days on the calendar. St. Luke, for example, or St. Joseph's or 
Um, any of the saints that you can name, St. Francis, probably the most popular saint. St. Patrick, my particular favorite saint. I even named my son after him. Um, it's a good thing I didn't really like St. Boris. I mean, you know. <laughs> But for most of us, those capital S saints aren't the kind of people that we regularly encounter. Right? And, and the, the, the way we sort of think about those is when we look at that, that, um, Sermon on the Mount that Jesus gives, right, about these blessings and woes, kind of like the Beatitudes, but not exactly the same, and as Luke tells the story. And he talks about these blessings and these woes, and they, for us, they speak to experiences that we all have, right? We have probably all experienced the things that Jesus calls blessed, and we have probably also all been the people that Jesus says woe unto you at times in our lives. Our lives go up and down. And then Jesus offers these challenges for how we move about the world and deal with the people we encounter, especially those who are troublesome and difficult and maybe even wish us harm. And Jesus sets what seems an impossible standard for us. And yet those capital S saints are those who tried to live into that to the best of their ability and were somehow noted for it, often by being martyred, by going through their death as they stood fast in the commands that Jesus gave them. But for many of us, of course, we don't really encounter those kind of capital S saints very often in our lives. But I think that, that we still meet people who, who rise to that standard, who are role models and mentors, people who, who invite us to think about and live differently as Christian people, right? And so I, I have these, these items that I have brought with me today. Because each of these represents for me a saint. Maybe not one that's on the church's calendar, but people who really exemplify Jesus' teaching in this lesson. And the first is my prayer book. Of course, this is not my only prayer book. As a, One of the nice things about being a priest is you get lots of these. People are always giving them to me. I really don't need more, but for some reason they still get them. I also have a lot of Bibles. I have like 15 Bibles. I can only read one at a time, but... But anyway, this prayer book is particularly special to me because it was given to me by a man named Lincoln Ng, the venerable Lincoln Ng. And I've talked about him before. He was the archdeacon of the Diocese of Oregon. He was a priest, um, and he, he was a Chinese man. He was of Chinese descent. He was originally from Northern California. And he worked in a hospital in San Francisco in World War II, uh, a military Hospital. He was an orderly at the hospital. And he encountered all these men who, who had suffered horribly from the war. And he served with them. And that experience led him to want to be a priest. But as, a, as an Asian man, he faced significant discrimination in the church in those days. And he was always being pushed off to, to parishes to serve that that really, I think, the leaders wished weren't really even churches. Churches of, that were made up primarily of people of color. But Lincoln was faithful. And he, 
he endeavored to push through the discrimination that he met, and he rose to positions of great leadership as our society changed and our church changed. And he ended up as the archdeacon of the Diocese of Oregon, and he was the guiding light who founded the parish from which I came to be ordained. My sending parish was founded by Lincoln. And he was a great role model, and he was a great mentor, and he was a man of tremendous faith and great humor and fearless and courageous. He was everything that Jesus would ask. And in fact, he, uh, he had one sort of notable thing that he did. There was a priest in the Diocese of Oregon, a woman, um, and women in the church still face uh, challenges, but but this woman, uh, she had been encouraged to become a priest by Lincoln. And now that she was a priest, she'd been a priest for a while. And she was invited to, um, called to be, uh, stand for election as bishop in, a, in another diocese. And she went to Lincoln and asked his advice. What, what should I do? And he's like, well, if you're being called by God, be unafraid and following that call. And she did. And she became a bishop. In fact, she became the first woman presiding bishop of the Episcopal Church, Catherine Jefferts Scorey. So, so Lincoln and his, his quiet determination of faith made a huge mark. And I've shown the, this before, but uh, for those who might not have been here on one of those Sundays, uh, Lincoln also had some really strong ideas about things, and he had some issues with the prayer book. And so if you can see, he's He's crossed out a bunch of it and written in red ink what he thought it should be. Um, if anyone wants to look at it, I'll look to you later. Um, he, he, he also made this book cover. It's like red cloth with the little, little roses on the little cross there. He was a prodigious knitter as well. He was really a remarkable person, Lincoln, and he's one of my personal saints. The other second item I have here is a, is a surplus, which is this white thing that I wear. And this is the one that I usually wear, but it desperately needs to go to the cleaners. Um, so I don't know how it gets dirty here, but it does. Anyway, this was given to me, this surplus, by a man named Paul, Paul Laughlin. And Paul was a dentist. He was a dentist in the small town in West Virginia where I served. And he, he was famous in the circles of dentistry, I guess. He was the president of some international association of dentists, and he was a, I think there's an American Dental Association. He was the president of that at one time. He was a, uh, always a forward thinker in the field of dentistry. But he was also someone who was committed to his community. Paul could have gone anywhere. He didn't have to stay in some small town in southern West Virginia, but he did because, because he felt that it had given him so much that he needed to give back. And so he became a community leader. And he became someone who was an advocate for our community amongst those in power. And he led by example, and he was dedicated to the church. Paul was a lay reader, and, and he wore that surplus for years and years and years and years. It's probably older than I am. And when he got to the point where he, he couldn't serve in that way anymore, I think it was a little heartbreaking for him. Um, and so he gave away some of the things like this surplus, and I asked if I could have it, and he said, of course, of course. And, and I think about Paul and his devotion to the church, because that's the kind of saints many of us encounter, that if you needed something, he was there. 
you know, not, not just for the church, but, but generally speaking, you know, he was always there, a tireless volunteer, always willing to lend a hand. He was a great, great man. And his wife was also remarkable, the most gracious woman I've ever met. Um, her name is Mab. She's still alive. And, and Mab's loves to swear. She's a, she herself was a World War II veteran in the Navy, so I know that's where she learned the words. But, and that drove Paul crazy. And she goes, but sometimes, I mean, she didn't swear all the time, but just once in a while she said, it just feels good to say it. So they were wonderful, wonderful people. And the last is, this is a patent, we call it. It's the, it goes on top of the cup to keep the flies out. That's basically its purpose in life. Um, and this is one I brought with me. The church, we already own many here at St. Luke's, but this one I brought with me, and I've added it in there. And uh, it belonged at St. Andrew's Episcopal Church in Mullins, West Virginia, where I, I was the priest. I was the rector of St. Stephen's Church in Beckley, but I was also the priest in charge of this tiny little church in this tiny little town. It had nine members, the nine members at that church. And uh, in, in 2001, the church had been washed away in a flood, um, but they rebuilt it, um, and, and they were faithful, and the church had been founded in the 1920s. And there was a woman there named Betty Sue, and Betty Sue had been baptized in that church the year after it was built. She had spent her whole life in that church, dedicated to that community, leading Sunday school back when there were kids who lived in that town, doing their outreach ministry. She did it all. And we had to close that church because they got down to about three members and it wasn't sustainable anymore. The whole town was dying. About one house in every four was empty and just falling down. And there was really nothing in the downtown anymore, except the Dollar General because those things are everywhere. But, but it was a sad, I've never done anything harder than the service that closed out the life of that parish. And yet Betty Sue, who had spent her whole, she was like 90 years old, and she spent her whole life dedicated to this tiny, tiny church in this little town, and we had to close it. And yet she wasn't bitter. She didn't, she wasn't mad at me, even though I felt like she probably should be. But was she, she found the brightness she got to go to church with her friends that they'd been separated her whole life on Sunday mornings. And so they found ways to get together and they continued to meet even after the church officially closed those last few people occasionally. And she found resurrection. She found hope. And that's been a great sign to me. And, and I'm happy to say that when she did die, they were able to have the funeral in the church, which I think was like the one thing she was really holding on to at the end. And so these people, these saints of my life, of Lincoln and Paul and Betty Sue, I keep these, these relics, if you will, um, of their lives, and they're imbued with some of their faithfulness. They're, they're sort of a reminder to me of, of the faithfulness of the people that I have encountered. And, and in some sort of way, not necessarily the objects themselves, but the reminder of the objects their faithfulness continues in the life of the church. 
It continues through my own ministry, which has been shaped so deeply by my experience of them. And the reality is that I know that each of you has similar stories. You know similar people. You may even have similar objects, things that that are imbued with the holiness of somebody's use that reminds you of their faithfulness. And it maybe even encourages you. And in fact, this space, every item in here, every single thing has a similar story. Some were made by people, some were given by people. Some have just been here so long that no one remembers where they come from, but it wouldn't be the same if they were gone. That our sanctuary is literally a reminder of all those whose lives have played out here in this space. From the cross to the the hangings to the books, almost every single one of these prayer books has somebody's name in it that they were given by, some of the hymnals as well. Everything here is imbued with holiness. And by holiness, I don't mean that it's, it's unapproachable, but through repetitive faithfulness. I think that's what holiness is, that something becomes holy because it's, it reminds us and it reminds millions of people over time that, that something special happens here, right? And that, that we have encountered so many saints, and some of us will be remembered many years from now as the saints who, who they knew at one time or another. And that in some way, we will leave our marks. And on All Saints Day, that's, that's what we come to remember. Those small S saints, those people who have imbued our lives with with holiness, who have been windows of God's grace and love, who have been people who encourage us, people who stand with us when we feel like we can't stand anymore, people to laugh with, people to cry with, people to hold our hands, to visit us, to bring us what we need. That's what we celebrate. We are surrounded by them, literally, in the items that they've left behind, but also metaphysically in their spirits are here with us. And on All Saints Day is the day that we we take a moment to remember them and their contributions and and to remember that even though their lives are ended, their legacies are not, their faithfulness is not, the love that they brought is not. It is here, it is alive. And this thing that we call church is such a small, simple word, but it encompasses so much. And it speaks to something deeply important about our connection our relationships with those who went before that stretch back in time to the relationships that the very disciples had with Jesus himself while he walked the earth. And that we are inheritors and stewards of that sacred fire kindled while Jesus was with us so that we may hold on to it and inspire others until the day that he returns and we are reunited all together with those that we have loved and those that we will love in the future who may not even be here yet. 
that in God's great new age, the promise of eternal life is fulfilled. And on today, we just take a moment to remember them and to look forward to that day of reunion and to be strengthened for the journey of faith so that we too can live into that impossible standard that Jesus invites us into. Amen.